0: Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, you can find Matthew chapter 5 on the, in the Pew Bible on page 809. Page 809, and we're learning about lessons from the Sermon on the Mount under the heading, The Upside-Down Kingdom. These uh, ideas and attitudes that Jesus starts out his sermon talking about the Beatitudes, where Jesus calls all of his followers to live out both in word and and, and indeed, and each week we've taken one of these beatitudes, these kingdom attitudes that Jesus has given us, and today we come on, uh, come to the beatitude of, of mercy. <clears throat> and uh, as we do that, as we approach this fifth kingdom attitude, there's eight, of course, uh, in in those uh, opening verses of the Sermon on the Mount. With this fifth one, we pivot. We pivot away from the beatitudes that focus in on ourselves and our relationship with primarily with God, and, and we pivot to the idea of ourselves and our relationships with others, our our uh, uh, lives uh, with society and as a, uh, as a world. And so uh, we're going to approach this this morning looking at how we can be more merciful um, in the very merciless world that we live in. And we're going to learn that not only are we called to show mercy, but we learn that in the same level of mercy that we show, the world we ourselves will receive uh, mercy uh, from God because we are told we will be blessed. Happy uh, is a little bit too trite of a word, but uh, we will find approval from God in a life that that pursues God through these beatitudes and so let 's look at what god 's word has to say. Uh, I know you 've just uh, sat down not too long ago i 'm to have you stand up for one more time in reverence to god 's word as we look at matthew chapter five i 'm going to read verses one. Uh, through 7, and we'll ask God's blessing again on our time. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And Jesus opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God, or kingdom of heaven, I'm sorry. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied in verse 7, our text for the morning. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Let's pray. Lord, my prayer is short and yet so sweet to you. Thank you for your mercy that you have shown us. While we were dead in our trespasses and sin, because of your great mercy for us, you saved us by grace. So, Lord, let us do likewise to the world around us. Lord, through these words, I pray that we be challenged, to show mercy in all the ways that you've called us to. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Let me share a story with you from CNN on March 9, 2013. The pilot glanced outside his cockpit and froze. He blinked hard and looked again, hoping it was just a mirage, but his co-pilot stared at the same horrible vision. Oh my goodness, this must be a nightmare, the co-pilot said. That pilot's going to destroy us. The two men were looking at a gray Messerschmitt fighter hovering just three feet off of their wingtip. It was five days before Christmas, 1943, and the fighter had closed in on their crippled American B-17 bomber for the kill. The B-17 pilot, Charles Brown, was a 21-year-old, go ahead and flip that screen for us, 21-year-old West Virginia farm boy on his first combat mission. His bomber had been shot to pieces by swarming German fighters, and his plane was alone in the skies above Germany. Half his crew had been wounded. A couple of his tail gunners were dead. His blood frozen in icicles. Uh, one of them, blood frozen in icicles over the machine gun. When Brown and his co-pilot, Spencer Luke, looked at the fighter pilot again, something odd happened. The German did not pull the trigger. He nodded at Brown instead. And what happened next was one of the most remarkable acts of mercy recorded during World War II. Years later, Brown would track down his would-be executioner for a, a reunion that would reduce both men to tears. Well, let's hear the other side of the story. Revenge, not honor, is what 2nd Lieutenant Franz Stigler forced him to jump into his fighter jet that chilly December day in 1943. Stigler wasn't a, any ordinary fighter pilot. He was a German ace. One more kill and he would win the Knight's Cross, German's highest award for valor. Yet Stigler was driven by something deeper than glory. His older brother, August, was a fellow Luftwaffe pilot who had been killed earlier in the war. American pilots had killed Stigler's comrades and were bombing his country's beloved cities. Stigler was standing near his fighter on a German airbase when he heard a bomber's engine. Looking up, he saw the American B 17 flying so low it looked like it was going to land. As the bomber disappeared behind some trees, Stigler tossed his cigarette aside, saluted a ground crewman, and took off in hot pursuit. As Stigler's fighter rose to meet the bomber, he decided to attack it from behind. He climbed behind the sputtering bomber, squinted into his gun sight, and placed his hand on the trigger. He was about to fire when he hesitated. Stigler was baffled. No one in the bomber was firing back at him. He looked closer at the tail gunner. He was still, his white fleece collar soaked with blood. Sigler craned his neck to examine the rest of the bomber. Its skin had been peeled away by shells, its guns knocked out. He could see men huddled together inside the plane, tending to the wounds of many of the crewmen. Then he nudged alongside the bomber's wing and locked eyes with the pilot, whose eyes were wide with shock and horror. Stigler pressed his hand over the rosary that he kept in his flight jacket. He eased his index finger off of the trigger. He couldn't shoot. He knew deep down inside it would be murder. A German pilot who spared the enemy, though, risked death in Nazi Germany. If someone reported him, he would be executed. Yet Stigler could hear the voice alone of his commanding officer who told him, You follow the rules of war for you, not your enemy. You fight by rules to keep your humanity. Along with the crippled bomber, Stingler changed his mission. A mission that was uh, focused in on death would be a mission focused on mercy. He nodded at the American pilot and began flying in formation so that the German anti-aircraft gunners on the ground would not shoot down the slow-moving bomber because the German aircraft was next to it. Stigler would escort the bomber over the North Sea and he took one last look at the American pilot. He saluted him with respect, peeled his fighter away and returned to Germany saying, good luck and God bless. You're now alone in God's hands. Stigler was able to recognize the common humanity of the enemy when he locked eyes with American pilot Brown. It was that which caused him to take mercy. It's stories like that that warm our hearts, that there's hope in the world. Let me give you a little more hope. Those two men, as was said in the article, would meet together and become the best of friends. Here's a picture of those two pilots, the German on the right, the American on the left, and their two wives as they celebrate some time together on a cruise. They would become avid fishermen partners together and they would see each other every couple years because mercy has a way of making enemies friends. And as we look to our beatitude this morning, we see that Jesus wants to uh, move in our hearts this morning. He wants us to be merciful. Now that is easier said than done because we live in a world that is merciless, not merciful. You see, it's totally countercultural what Jesus is saying to us in this justice-seeking, eye-for-an-eye, tooth-for-a-tooth world that, that is bent on grudge-holding, that tells others who are in need to pull yourselves up by your own bootstraps. And if you have any difficulty with me, just know that you're going to hear from my lawyer. We live in that kind of society, don't we? And yet within this world that seems so hell-bent on not showing mercy, Jesus turns our world upside down as he has had each and every week where he reminds us that we are called. In fact, we are blessed when we are merciful. But why in the world would we receive this mission? This mission that is so countercultural to the world we live in because we are reminded unless we show mercy to those around us that God will not show mercy to us. And I don't know about you, but after a week like this, I need mercy from God. For I know that I have offended the God, a holy and just God, and God each and every day shows me his mercy. So how do we begin to live out this beatitude? There are four questions I want to answer. I want to do so as quickly as possible this morning. And the first question we have to come to is, what does the word mercy mean? What does the word mercy mean? This is so important village Bible when it comes to our discussion we got to know what it means in order that we may strive to live it out and so let's do some look at the heart of the word mercy plainly spoken in the Hebrew mercy was a word that spoke of an emotional response when we are brought face to face with the needs of others the Greeks when they spoke about the word mercy would speak about an emotion that came literally from the man's bowels. The idea there was that it came from the heart and the very depths of the human being. It spoke of not a surfacy type of emotion, but one that cut to the heart. Still others have defined mercy as the goodwill towards the afflicted, joined with a desire to relieve them. Popular radio preacher Chuck Swindoll says that mercy is God's ministry to the miserable. God's ministry to the miserable. And while all of those help us to come to grips with the term, the one definition that I would like to use comes from Bible scholar William Barclay. Write this down. It's a little lengthy, and I I didn't get it in time uh, on the screen. Uh, But write this down. Mercy, he says, is to get inside someone's skin. It's to get inside someone's skin until we can see things with his eyes. It's to get inside someone's skin until we can see things with his eyes. We can think things with his mind. So to see things with his eyes. Think things with his mind feel things with his feelings as to move and act on behalf of those who are hurting so it is to get inside someone's skin until we see things with his eyes think things with his mind feel things with his feelings as to move and act on behalf of those who are hurting that's good that's a good working definition now some of you very quickly will say well Tim we talk about mercy all the time we, we just don't use the word because we use a more theological word and that's the word grace isn't grace and mercy aren't they the same things and the answer is no while they have similar ideas and thoughts they are distinctly different I want you to look at the screen, and I want to show you the difference between grace and mercy. You see, grace is God's solution to man's sin, while mercy is God's solution to man's misery. Grace covers the sin, while mercy removes the pain. Grace is the, that which is unearned favor which saves us. Notice, mercy is the undeserved favor which forgives us. Grace deals with the cause of sin while mercy deals with the symptoms of sin. Grace offers pardon for the crime. Mercy offers relief from the punishment. Grace cures, I'm sorry, cur- cures or heals the disease while mercy eliminates the pain of the disease. Grace regarding salvation says heaven Mercy regarding salvation says, no hell. Grace says, I pardon you. Mercy says, I pity you. We need to understand that because as we address this issue of mercy, once we understand what it is and how it is to impact our lives, the next question we have to ask is where is mercy been modeled for us? That's the second point this morning in your outlines. Okay, now that we've got a working definition that it's literally getting into someone else's skin to be able to see what they're seeing, to feel what they're feeling, to think about what they're thinking about. And then therefore, because we are with them, that sympathetic and empathetic feeling of walking a mile in their shoes, when we see them in their need, we respond. Now the question is, well, where in the world do we see it? And we can look, and and throughout our lives, we will see acts of mercy. I'm sure many of you have done acts of mercy in your life. This isn't what Jesus is talking about. Jesus isn't saying, I want you when, when, when it just is, is right for you, when you have time, when it's around the holidays, for you to show mercy. No, he's saying, I want you to live a lifestyle. Blessed are the merciful. They are fully filled up to the brim, full of mercy, not just at one time of the year, but every day of the year. What Jesus is wanting is a lifestyle Of mercy and we see that every once in a while our minds of course go to mother Teresa that wonderful little lady who out of a heart for God and a heart for the people lived in squalor in the streets of Calcutta India who would give her life to orphan care acts of mercy day in and day out loving mercy in such a way as to love those who in times were unlovable. We have a trip that's leaving here in the next couple days to Haiti. And it's a trip of mercy. It's a trip taking care of of people, orphans who are in need. And many of our uh, missions organizations that we support are modeling mercy on a daily basis, ministering to those who need it. But I agree with Bill Bright, the founder of Campus Crusade Ministries, who said this. While all those are great examples, Bill Bright says, God is the grand master of mercy. And so when we look to see who models mercy, we don't just look to other people, but we look to God. God is the God of mercy. God is so merciful, let me help you understand this, He is so utterly merciful that every day the Bible tells us in Lamentations that His mercies are new every morning. And what that means is right when you think you've gotten down to the bottom of the barrel of God's mercies, another day rolls around and he says, here's a new bucket of mercies. Here's a new barrel for you to dig down deep in. God is a merciful God. I want to read you as a way of proving this point that we see mercy in a couple ways. Number one, we see it in the person of God in the person of God. I'm just going to read these scriptures to you. You don't have to look them up. Just write down the passages and you can look to them later as encouragement of this truth. Deuteronomy 4.31. Deuteronomy 4.31. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. Nehemiah 9 thirty one nehemiah 9 thirty one but in your great mercy you did not put an end to them or abandon them for you are a gracious and merciful god psalm 119 verses one or verse one thirty two turn to me and have mercy on me as you always do to those who love your name daniel 918 we do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but we make this request because of your great mercy. Micah seven, eighteen and 19. Micah 7, 18 and 19. Who is a God like you who pardons sins and forgives the transgressions of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy you will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl our iniquities into the depths of the sea. And you say, well, that sounds great. That's Old Testament God, you know, which is good because all I ever hear is judgment from the Old Testament God. God was a God of mercy in the Old Testament and he's a God of mercy in the New Testament. Romans 9, 16, speaking of salvation, it says, it does not therefore depend on man's desire or effort. How do we get salvation? Because of God's mercy. Ephesians 2 4 tells us at the beginning of Ephesians chapter 2 that we were aliens uh, or uh, alienated from God and we were dead in our trespasses and sin. But the scripture says in Ephesians 2.4, But God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ while we were sinners, we are told in Romans, Christ died for us. James 5, 11 says that the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Now, all of these remind us of one foundational truth this morning. If you and I want to be a merciful people, if we want to show mercy in the days to come, then what it means is you can't get up and say, well, I'm just going to be better at being merciful. But it means I have to be in tune with the source of mercy, God himself. Now please remember that his mercy is always balanced by his other attributes. And so yes, God is a God of mercy, but that is held in a perfect and righteous balance to his justice and even to his wrath. And yet we see over and over again God withholding his judgments. God treating us with care. God moving closely to us in our desperate state. He shows us mercy because, again, as the scripture says, he desires for his mercies to be new every morning. Now, we can get a lot of those verses, but we can get lost. We can get lost in the esoteric and theoretical idea of of our spiritual God who shows us mercy. And we say, well, that's easy for God. That's easy for you, God. You don't live in the world I live in, God. God, you don't work with some of those people that I have to work with. God, you don't understand who I'm married to. You want me to show mercy? It's sure easy from the um, peanut gallery for, me to, for you to say to be merciful. But what about in this dog-eat-dog dog world? Notice that it's not just seen in the person of God, but I want you to see that, that God's mercy is shown in the patience of Jesus Christ the patience of Jesus. You see, when we talk about Jesus in his incarnation, I want you to know there's, there's great doctrine there on his mercy for us to understand because we see Jesus having to deal with the world that we deal with, with the same types of people that we have to deal with. And I want you to see that Jesus' patience in being God with human flesh, walking in the world that he was, showed patience and love because of his mercy. And I want you to see it with three different types of people. Notice, number one, he showed patience and mercy to the desperate. To the desperate. We see over and over again crowds pressing in on Jesus. And Jesus having to uh, come and, and, and minister to those people and, and to heal them. And some of these people uh, were desperate because of issues that had, they had no part in playing. The, uh, diseases and ailments that they had when they were born. And still there was the other side of those who were desperate because they had found themselves in situations by their own doing, by their own sin. And yet we see Jesus shows mercy to them all what a reminder for us that before we look at people, and and your pastor does this, and and I confess it to you, when I see people who are in need of mercy, I quickly go to what I call discernment, which is really judgmental attitudes. And I begin to ask the question, well, are they in that spot? Are they finding themselves in that lot in life because of something they've done? And what Jesus shows us is he showed mercy to those who had no part in their ailments or struggles of desperation, as well as to those who had every part in it. And Jesus showed mercy and love. Never did Jesus ever say, all right, enough is enough. I can't deal with you desperate people anymore. Can I tell you there are Sundays at times where my own patience as a shepherd, where I just, I just want to go home. Jesus doesn't do that. Because Jesus is far more merciful than your pastor is. Where Jesus is willing to deal with the dysfunctions and the hurts of people. And why? He was patient with the hurting. Because when he saw the crowd, he was filled with compassion. He didn't see them as problem people. He saw opportunities to alleviate their hurts and pains and to love on them because of his mercy. So we see Jesus is... A merciful God to those who are desperate. What a great reminder. But notice, Jesus showed mercy to his detractors. To his detractors. Write that down. You see, it's easy to help out those who are hurting. We, we, we no doubt go to the city and maybe even in some places here where we see people hurting. And our hearts are filled with people that are hurting, and maybe we get beyond some of our judgmental thoughts and attitudes on why they may be hurting, and we give or we help out to alleviate the stress or the pain that they may be feeling. That's easy to do. But what we see is Jesus shows mercy even to his detractors, the sh- chief priests, scribes, and, and Pharisees. You know, Jesus knew what they were doing, he knew what their plan of, of action was, he knew that they wanted him dead. And you look at how Jesus responds to them. And he responds to them in love and with mercy. Jesus never speaks ill of them behind their backs. He doesn't gossip about them, he doesn't uh, spread rumors about them. Jesus, every time he had a difficult word to share, always shared it to them with respect, giving them the opportunity to respond. He got into all these dialogues. As the God of the universe, I would just say, you know what? You're a pain in the butt. I don't like you I want nothing to do with you so be done and think of the times where Jesus I know you're gonna kill me I know all you want to do is get a hand on me so you can beat the tar out of me I get that and if I was Jesus I gotta be honest with you there would have been no mention of the scribes and Pharisees in the Bible the first time they mess with me Pa boom goodbye I have the power. I have the. Po- you know, my dad used to say, I brought you into this world. I can take you out. Jesus could really say that. I don't want nothing to do with you. I don't even want to mess with you. So just be gone. Jesus doesn't do that. He's patient with them. He allows them opportunities to repent. He shows mercy. What a reminder for us that even our greatest enemies deserve mercy. Jesus finally shows mercy to his disciples, to his disciples. Okay, we get it. Those who are hurting need mercy. Those who are enemies, we're told to forgive them, love them. Show them mercy. We get that. Okay, that's hard. But I'll tell you one that is is equally difficult because patience runs and wanes are those who are closest to us the disciples are the men that love Jesus they wanted to learn from Jesus and grow for them the problem was they were so stinking and mature every time Jesus would want to move on to something else one of them would open up their mouth and say something stupid and Jesus would be like all right let's go back to square one again all right here we go I'm the son of God I've come here to save people from their sins. Uh, I'm going to do all these miracles and do all these things amongst you. I'm going to uh, seek and save that which was lost. And uh, I'm going to be handed over by my own choice into the hands of sinful men. And I'm going to be hung on the cross as an atoning sacrifice. And three days later, I'll rise from the grave. And he has to do that. If you read the, the narrative over and over again, he does that. And each time... One of the disciples stands up and says, we're ready to go to fight for you, Jesus. We've got our sword. D- D- Peter, you know, Peter's out there, and what's he doing? He's saying, everybody else will fall away from you, but I won't. And Jesus knows that. And, and again, if I was Jesus, I'd be like, everybody, and pardon the excuse, just shut up. Stop talking this ignorant talk that you're talking about. Let's just leave it be, because you don't know what you're talking about. And when I look at Jesus and his patience and his mercy, I see how I need to treat my own children, how I need to treat those closest to me. I need to be merciful to them, those that don't get it. I need to understand that that I once was an an ignorant, you guys would maybe say he still is, but I'm going to say I once was an ignorant fool. I didn't understand it all, and people needed to be patient and kind and merciful to me. Do you see, when we look at Jesus, we see mercy to the destitute or the desperate. We see mercy to the detractors, the enemies, and then we see the mercy even to those that were closest to him. And we get a picture of when we see the patience of Jesus modeling mercy in all facets of our lives. And we need to emulate that. John uh an early church uh, leader, uh, stated it this way. The merciful Christian imitates God and disappoints the devil. And that's what Jesus did. He emulated his father. And he disappointed the devil because he showed mercy. Now now that we've answered a couple of these questions about modeling and meeting, let's ask the question, where is it mandated? Where does the Bible say we have to show mercy? When, when and where does it need to take place? And notice, first of all, that the Christian life mandates... That we show mercy. Because if we are going to be like Jesus, Luke 6.36, it's another rendering of, of the same passage in the Sermon on the Mount. Luke tells us that Jesus says, Be merciful just as your Father in heaven has been merciful. And so we need to understand that God is calling us to something. He's mandating for us to show mercy. And as we look at the scriptures over and over again, we see God calling us to an active life. An active life of mercy not a one-time act of mercy but an active life of mercy now some of you will say because you're smart enough in the Bible that Tim the Bible has this list of of spiritual gifts and one of them is to give acts of mercy to show acts of mercy to live out acts of mercy I don't have it therefore this sermon is for those types of people not me no what that means is there are people that are going to have a supernatural, spiritual gift that enables them to do exceedingly, abundantly more acts of mercy than, than, than us. But we're all called to acts of mercy. Number two, there are some of you who say, but my personality is not given to mercy. you know. And the world needs both kinds of people. There are the merciful people, and then there's the people like me. God has gifted me with the ability to be a truth-sayer. Uh, one who is more black and white, one who is more uh, able and more fitting to to tell people what they need to hear, you know that's that's my job. But you know what? That's not your job. That's God's job. God says, "I want you to show mercy." So no matter what your spiritual gifts are, no matter what your personality is, God's calling you to emulate Him to show mercy. But where do we see mercy to be lived out? Notice. But there's a couple things that the Bible says about our mercy. Number one, it says that we are to delight in mercy. We are to delight in being merciful. This is so backwards. When was the last time you told somebody about a bad experience that happened whether in the workplace or in the grocery store or or with some rude individual and you come home and you want to tell everybody listen up this is what happened this person was rude to me this coworker didn't do what they were supposed to do my boss really laid into me and, and I let him have it that's what we want to tell them, right Boy, that person will never walk over me again. They, they, they learn that you don't cross Timbiddle. Yeah, but that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says that when that happens, our response to people should be to forgive them and to show mercy. And that doesn't make for a good story at the end of your day, does it? Your buddies aren't going to be like in the garage talking and, and you did what? You prayed for them? That doesn't sell. Yeah, that's what God's calling us to. Now, notice Micah chapter 6, verse 8 says we are to love mercy. To love mercy here means to do so cheerfully. Now, notice the prophet Micah doesn't say to do mercy. Some of us just want to do mercy. I'll do it. God wants me to, but I really don't love it. What what the prophet says, we're to take delight in it, to find great pleasure in the forgiveness of others. Do you do that? Is it something you enjoy doing in forgiving others, in helping the poor, in cheering up of the sick, in the teaching to the ignorant, in winning back of sinners to, their way, to the ways of God? Do you long to show mercy? Do you delight in it? Number two, do you dress yourself in mercy? Did you know Christians are called to wear uniforms? Just like when you go into Best Buy, you see all of their employees wearing the blue shirt. You go into Target, they're all wearing the red shirt. There's a reason for that. It's to distinguish them apart from all of the shoppers. I'm here to help you. I'm here to serve you in your shopping experience. If you need help, I'm here to help you. Well, mercy, we are told in Colossians 3.12, we are to clothe ourselves with mercy and compassion. Why? So that the world around us can see our uniform of mercy. And as they see our uniform of mercy, they say, well, why in the world is this person so merciful? And our response, our evangelism back to them is because God has shown me mercy. The reason why I didn't give him a piece of my mind was because I have been shown mercy and God didn't give me a piece of his, but forgave me. You see, we have been given this uniform and I will tell you that we are to clothe ourselves. Anytime it speaks in the Bible of clothing yourself, it speaks of a daily activity. Ray Steadman Uh, A great preacher of a generation ago shares the tangible idea of clothing ourselves with mercy each and every day the moment we wake up. Notice what he says. When you come to the kitchen table for breakfast, come with mercy. Mercy for that strange-looking creature who has her hair up in curlers, shuffling around the kitchen in old slippers and a worn-out robe. You need to come with compassion and mercy each morning for that gruff, stubble-faced fella, isolated behind his morning newspaper, ignoring everybody else. You have to clothe yourself daily with mercy and compassion for those children who are trying to get everything together before they go to school. You see, God's people must approach life with mercy and compassion. That is what the Apostle Paul is saying. Put it on when you get up in the morning because you are a new man, you are a new woman. Therefore, live that way. Live with mercy. Do you do that each and every morning? Do you dress yourself with mercy? Now you say, Tim, you don't understand. I have had this enemy in my life for so many years. The wrongs they have wronged me with, they don't deserve mercy. The Bible tells us in those circumstances, we are to to default to mercy, we're to default to mercy. The book of James, verse or chapter two, verse thirteen says that mercy triumphs judgment. I love that word default. Default helps me in our technological age. Some some months ago, I had a phone, and and just like you, I I am app crazy. Okay, If there's an app for it, for the phone, I want it because I want the world at my hands whenever I need it. I, I want to know what's going on in the world at a, at a push of a button, and then there's an app for it, and so I want it. Okay, And the problem is, is I put so many apps on my phones, my phone started to really struggle to keep up to do what it was supposed to do. It had been filled with so much baggage that it, even making a phone call had become difficult because there was no memory there for it to continue to do what it was called to do. And so I went to the phone store and the guy says, hey, just so you know, with every one of these apps, what it does is it just slows down the, the, the ability of the phone to do what it was created to do. And every once in a while, you just have to go and there's a, there's a button on the screen here that says uh, default to original settings. And sometimes you have so much there that to try to get rid of all of it will be an impossible thing. Sometimes you've got to hit that button and just kind of clear it all out. And I want to tell you something. There are some of you who are thinking of a person right now that you will never show mercy to. And there's a good reason why. They have walked all over you. They have hurt you and cut you deeply. And I will tell you, there was a person in my life, close in, in my life, that I would say years ago, I will never have a relationship with that person. They lost any chance of that taking place. And here's what had to happen. God had to remind me that he was merciful to me because I, even though I had wronged him over and over and over again. And what God did was a work in my heart to press in the proverbial button in my life to say, you know what? There's no way this person will ever get over these hurdles for me to show them mercy. And so you know what I had to do? I had to clear the screen. I had to say, you know what? Just as I would have never been able to get over my issue of sin, jesus came in and cleared the screen not only did he clear the screen but he put his righteousness on our behalf and that's just a whole nother theological thing but sometimes when mercy is so hard and and so far out of our grasp we need to sometimes allow all that water under the bridge to go away and say you know what i'm just going to default to mercy i'm going to treat them as if they never did that stuff to me in the first place some of us need to do that in our lives. It will repair our marriages. It will repair our relationship with our children. Does that mean we just enable a bad behavior? No, but we don't respond to it as the person might deserve. Notice one other one, demonstrate mercy towards others. Zechariah 7.9 says we are to show mercy and compassion to one another. Again, this is a reminder that mercy cannot just be a thought in our minds. Mercy must be accompanied with actions. It must flow, actions that must flow from a merciful heart. A pastor once said that it is, that mercy in theory is meaningless. It is. If mercy isn't doing something, then, then it's not mercy. Now I'm going to add one for you just for extra credit here, but I want you to also understand that God wants us to do some ministry because of mercy. To do some ministry because of mercy, Romans 12.1 says that in view of God's mercy to us, we need to offer our bodies as living sacrifice. 2 Corinthians 4.1 says that since through God's mercy we have this ministry, uh, that mercy enables us to do something. Because God took a step, we need to take a step with one another. And I want you to know there's some mercy when we minister. You're receiving some mercy today as I preach to you. Now, how in the world is that? That is because I'm sharing words from God as to how we can better our lives, and, and we don't deserve that, and yet God wants us to have that. Now, let's, let's take it a more practical level. We got I mean, dozens of kids on the youth retreat right now. You don't think that those youth leaders are serving us in a merciful way? Just try to stay up all night with teenagers. Try to listen to them. Especially when it comes to junior high and high school boys, man, they smell. They, they, they do rude things. They, they're weird. And, and by the way, we'll need to opt this out because I know all the teenagers listen to my sermon, so don't tell them what I said. But, but here's the thing I want you to know. When we are merciful, we allow people mercy that maybe they don't even deserve. And some of those kids, let me tell you something. I was a kid that did not deserve mercy as a young person. And there are people even in this church today, because I attended here, that showed me mercy when I didn't deserve it. And we need to recognize our ministry isn't just something we can say on a piece of paper, well, I've done this, I've done that. But it is showing mercy to each other in that way. Hosea 6.6 tells us that mercy is greater than that of sacrifices and burnt offerings. So it leads to one final question, and then we need to close it out. Where is mercy to be manifested where do we manifest it? It's two key ways, two key areas. Mercy is to be manifested number one, in forgiving the debts of people owed that people owe us. It forgives the debts that people owe us. In Matthew 18, turn it for a moment in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. In Matthew chapter 18, we are told about a story of forgiveness. And in the story it begins with uh, the issue of Peter asking a question. And notice what he says in Matthew 18 verse 21. Then Peter comes up to Jesus and says, "Lord, how often will my brother sin against how often will my brother sin against me and and I forgive him?" And Peter's smart. He goes, "You know, should I do it 7 times?" Jesus says to him, "I do not say to you 7 times, but 70 times 7." Seven. And he tells a story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servant. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. That's a ton. Now, since the man could not pay, verse 25 says, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. That's justice. You pay what you owe. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, I'll pay you everything. And out of pity or mercy for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debts. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred, denarii. that's small, small amount of money, seizing him, the man begins to choke him, saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Have patience with me and I will pay you. But this man refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And when they went and reported to their master all that had taken place, the master summons him back and says, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should not have you shown mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? It's a great question that some of us need to ask this morning. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. There are four principles I just want to share with you about this story. Number one, you and I owed God a price too great to pay back, but he shows mercy. Number two, our debt... I'm sorry, others' debts pale in comparison to the one that we have been forgiven. Number three, our response to our debtors, listen to me, this is crucial. Our response to our debtors directly correlates to how God will respond to us. You're not merciful with, your, with the world around you, with the people around you. God says, I will not be merciful to you. Some of you are enduring some hardships right now. You're saying, God, why won't you throw me a bone? God, why won't you give me a little grace? God, why won't you just help me out a bit? Well, if you're not serving and loving people with mercy in your heart, God is holding back his mercy. And some of us are being held back mercy because we're not merciful to others. So therefore, the principle of this is being unmerciful costs you so much more than showing mercy. So we need to find ways to forgive the debts that people owe us. Who owes you right now? Who owes you a debt? Who has wronged you or offended you? What God is saying through his word this morning is forgive. Forgive them. You forgive them because you too were forgiven so great a price that you would never be able to pay back. And out of a gratitude for what God has done for you, you show that through mercy to others. Finally, the final way that we can do it is by finding ways. Finding ways to help the downtrodden, no matter the cost. You know the story, the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan is a story that is so powerful. It's got racial tension going on in it. And and, and take some time this week to look at the story of the Good Samaritan. There's your homework for the week. And look at it because here's the thing. Before you put away your Bibles and this, I want you to understand that the way that we show mercy to the world we live in involves three things that the Good Samaritan did. Write this down. It involves recognition. The good Samaritan saw the man in need. Now remember, the story is that two men saw the same situation, and they went on the other side of the road to get away from it. Brothers and sisters, when it comes to your mercy, do you walk on the other side of the road when someone needs something? Do you make sure that you get far enough away that it doesn't impact what's going on in your life? Uh, that's an unmerciful spirit. The Samaritan saw the need and he recognized, now that I see the need, it draws me to have to get closer to the need. It means I'm going to have to change my schedule. It means I'm going to get a little dirty. It means that I may, it may cost me. But why does he do it? It says that the good Samaritan did it because he had pity in his heart for the man who had been beaten down and left for dead. Do you have pity for those in the world? We are so quick when we see someone in need to judge instead of show mercy. To say, well, I have been able to get through life without any help, so why should someone else need it? It's that whole pull yourself up by your own bootstraps mentality. It's a mentality that's not, it may be American, but it's not Christian. The Christian mentality says, let me help you with your bootstraps because God helped me with mine. And so we need to recognize and we need to be motivated by mercy, which leads us then to action. And notice what the action was. It wasn't just a quick fly-by action, but he addresses the man's deepest need right away. The man's deepest need at that moment was his physical well-being. It says that he attended to his needs. That's the first step of mercy. The second step of mercy is that it is going to involve your own personal resources. Mercy is us not giving of someone else's. It is us giving of ourselves. And so the man takes care of his needs. He's bloodied and he's naked. He takes care of it. Where does he get the resources for it? From his own pocket. He takes care of it. And then notice the third part in that story is that he doesn't just take care of the immediate needs, but then he puts them into an inn and takes care of them. There's food, water, and care for the long term. And some of us feel good, and this day is coming, where, where we'll be uh, uh, hearing the bells of the Salvation Army, ding, 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 and, our, and we'll throw a couple pennies in, we'll throw a couple dollar bills in, and we'll say that's it. And God says mercy is us not throwing coins into a, a kettle, but is seeking not only the short-term, but the long-term care of those in need. How are you forgiving others of the debts? And how are you finding ways to help the downtrodden? When we begin to ask those questions, we will get to the heart of God. Now notice this beatitude is the only one that has the same promise as does the condition. Blessed are those who are merciful for they shall receive mercy. With the same measure that you show mercy, God will show mercy to you. So instead of judging others, instead of trying uh, to qualify yourself to not have to help, Give unqualified mercy to those who don't deserve it. Give because God has given given to you. And when we do that, God says we'll be blessed. We'll be blessed. My prayer is that this would be true for us as a church, that mercy would reign true in our witness to the world, that we would in our time of need receive mercy because we've shown mercy. Let's go ahead and pray. Father God, we come before you and I thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray that we would take this word today and we would use it. We would use it this week with regards to those who have wronged us. We would use it this week to those who are hurting. We would use it this week to those who are closest to us. Father, empower us by your spirit to show mercy. Father, remind us by your spirit of the great sins that alienated from us from you. And remind us of the great price of mercy and love and grace that was shown us that we who were dead in our trespasses and sin have been made alive because of your great mercy for us. Lord, remind us of that in the workplace tomorrow. Remind us of that when we become impatient with our kids. Remind us of that, Lord, when we see that person who is down and out and in need of a helping hand. Lord, I know there's a lot of discerning that needs to go on because we know that sometimes our helping can hurt. And so, Lord, lead us to a discernment filled with mercy and not one of judgment so that we may show this world who you are and what you're all about. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. We love you and praise you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.